blessing to be with you. I pray regularly for the work of uh, the church here. and It's uh, wonderful to see how God is blessed. And thank you as well for your, your interest in, your prayers for, your support for the work of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I guess that probably most of you don't stay for Sunday school, but I'll be giving at Sunday school uh, today a report uh, about the work of uh, the seminary. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word out of reverence to God who speaks in His Word. We're going to read Psalm 119, uh, the stanza uh, that's called uh, Noon, which is the Hebrew letter N. You know, Psalm 119 is an alphabetical psalm. There's actually a number of these in the Psalter. This obviously the most famous and comprehensive. So each stanza, uh, as it follows the Hebrew alphabet, every verse in that stanza begins with that letter. So here is the Hebrew letter that we would refer to as noon. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Majestic, holy, triune God, we thank you that as we have gathered this day in your presence, that you have promised to come and deal with us through the preaching of your word. And we ask now that the spirit who inspired these words would illumine our understanding. But moreover, grant through that outpouring of his work that we would hear Christ our prophet speak to us in the preaching of his word we ask this for his sake amen be seated I think all of us uh, by nature when we uh, are telling the truth really uh, urgently believe that people will believe us I don't know what boys and girls say today, but I can remember it was the kind of stupid things um, that um, uh, if I lie, stick a pin in my eye, um, or um, if I lie, let me die. Um, and that's foolish because you don't really want that to happen, but the sentiment behind that is that I really am telling the truth, and I want you to know that I'm telling the truth. And as adults, we are that way. Of course, if we really were a people of integrity, uh, folks would believe our word much more quickly. And our Savior teaches us that's how we should live our lives, that our yes should be a yes and our no should be a no. And we should never need to enforce that in the regular concourse of life. But God has given to us this matter of oaths and vows in order to enforce truth in very special and peculiar occasions. 
And every one of us in this room this morning, uh, in one way or another, are under obligations with respect to vows uh, made to God and to others in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we often don't think about those vows or those obligations. Um, and they play a pretty minor role in our lives often. Uh, and then the whole use of, of vows in terms to help us um, pursue holiness is something that is uh, greatly absent uh, in our lives as well. So I want you to think this morning about what I'm calling the vows of your life and what that means in terms of the text that we have here in Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. I'm sure that all of you are well aware that Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God and God coming to us in His Word. Sometimes we just isolate it as the Word of God. But no, it's the Word of God so that we may commune with God through the Word. And there's a number of different synonyms that are used for the Word of God, and yet they have nuances, and we'll see some of that as we seek to open up this text this morning. And so this overall psalm is, is really dealing with the believer's life before God governed by the Word of God. The believer's life before God governed by the Word of God. And as we come to this particular stanza today, what I want to show you is that the believer in conscious dependence on God's grace is to obligate himself to serve God according to his covenant. The believer with a conscious dependence on God's grace is to obligate himself to serve God according to his covenant. And I want to show you three things from uh, these eight verses. Uh, In the first place, the believer's covenant responsibility. Second, the believer's solemn obligation. And third, the believer's conscious dependence. Now, in Psalm 119... Rarely can you simply go through the psalm um, in a consecutive order. Uh, It all does relate. Some of the failures, I think, in trying to deal with the psalm is is the failure to find the unity that's in the stanza. But you still have to look because of the uh, device, the acrostic device. It's not always going to flow. So we'll be moving around um, in the verses as we unpack these points. So in the first place... Uh, the believer's covenant responsibility. He sets before us here in verse 105 the nature of God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now we know that God is light. And that means he is of absolute pure truth and holiness and, and revelation. The sun that he's made is to us a picture of the bright, glaring light of a holy God as he reveals himself. Our Savior comes into the world and he says, I am the light of the world. And by that, he's telling us that he has come now to reveal to us the truth, the majesty, and the glory of God. But because God is light, because the Savior is the light of the world, um, and God is his word, all these different attributes and this attribute of life now is attributed to the word uh, of God. And so the word of God itself, because it is God's word, is a lamp. It is a light. This speaks to us of the nature of the word of God. It's perspicuity. 
uh, as our confession teaches us that every truth necessary to know God is, can be read by the simplest uh, believer and uh, they can serve God. Uh, light tells us that the word of God is, is self-authenticating. We don't need to prove it or defend it. In fact, John Owen uses the figure of light uh, to prove that the Bible itself uh, manifests its own authority. He says, you don't have to prove light to people. In our day, we say, turn on the light switch. You don't have to, to defend the fact light is manifest. And because God's word is light, it's manifestly, authoritatively God's word. But as such, what the psalmist shows us now in verse 111, that God particularly deals with his covenant people through the light of the word. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Testimonies is one of the terms that's used here in Psalm 119 uh, for the word of God. And it has covenant significance as the word is used itself throughout Scripture. It's refers to God's covenant testimony. You remember the Ark of the Covenant. It was the testimony. And so the word of God is to us a covenant document in which God himself, having revealed himself, pledges to us specific things, particularly about our relationship to him. And if we come to him on the terms that he has appointed, that he receives us for Christ's sake, he justifies us, he pardons our sins, he constitutes us righteous, he adopts us as his children, his spirit indwells us. But in this covenant, which is always a two-way street, we have the responsibility then to respond to him. So when it speaks of the Bible as a covenant testimony, it's reminding us of what God has pledged, but what God has obligated us to do in response to that pledge. The psalmist here confesses for us that the word of God is our inheritance then, that this covenant has been procured for us through the obedience, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are in Christ, it's something that belongs to us. The Bible and God's testimony to you in the Bible as a Christian is your possession. And because of that, we should delight in the word of God. And we say then that the testimonies of God's word are the joy of our hearts. And I would ask you, do you have that joy in the truth of Scripture? When you read the Bible, are you listening, not just reading words, but are you listening to God to speak to you through what you're reading? Are you seeking to commune with him? And, you know, all the figures the psalmist uses in Psalm 119, it's, uh, it's sweeter than honey. It's, it's, it's more valuable than the, the greatest and pure refined gold. And is it just a pleasure in the morning to pick it up, to know that this is my message from God? As a family, to pick it up, this is our message from God. And particularly as we come to corporate worship, the greatest privilege that we have, preaching the highest means of grace, that you delight in this because it is your inheritance. Now, because it is a covenant word, it places then upon us, as I've already alluded, covenant responsibilities. We are to keep the testimonies, 106b. We are to incline our hearts to perform the statutes, 112a. And we are not to depart to the right or the left from the word of God, 110b. So God has placed upon us as his covenant people 
through his word by which he binds us to himself to respond to that according to the doctrines and commandments of the word. What we're to believe and how we're to live. And this is a very serious responsibility. And in a sense, it's a, it's a responsibility on all people because God has made all people. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to those of us who have done so, we have this responsibility. But if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know that regardless of how excited you were when you first came to Christ, uh, this, this is a, a demanding task. It's, it's not easy. And so to help us, to encourage us, to motivate us, uh, God then has given us this tool of vows. So you see how the psalmist states this. He talks about the glory of the word of God in 105. But now in 106, we see that the believer makes, takes solemn obligation, and that's in terms of a vow. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your commandments. This language is language of oath. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes. So what we have here is a solemn obligation put in terms of an oath, vowing, swearing. Swearing is part of the fulfillment of the first commandment. So, for example, in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verse 13, you shall fear only the Lord your God, you shall worship him and swear by his name. So the very duty of not having other gods negatively is spelled out in Deuteronomy 6 and 10 and other places that we are to have God as our God, to love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength. But notice that we are to swear by his name. And so here God reveals to us this whole matter of taking oaths and vows uh, to obligate ourselves to truthfulness with respect to an oath, but particularly to the performance of duties with respect to vows. Now, a vow uh, is defined for us in Westminster 22, 5 and 6 is of the like nature with a promissory oath. So the, the chapter 22 in the confession deals first with oaths, and that's when we call upon God to witness to the truthfulness of what we're saying. Our Savior took oaths. God himself takes oath, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6. And a vow is of a like promissory oath. In other words, it's made in the presence of God. It's to be made with like religious care and to be performed with the like faithfulness. Every bit as binding then is this oath. No man may vow to do anything forbidden in the word of God or what would hinder any duty therein commanded or which is not in his own power and for the performance whereof he hath no promise of ability from God. In which respects, popish monastical vows of perpetual life, um, single life, professed poverty, regular obedience are so far from being degrees of higher perfection. This is what's taught by the Roman church. that they are superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. And so here it spells out that uh, we may use these vows. Now, a vow is a voluntary thing. So, for example, Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, 
If you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin. You should be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. So there's no demand upon us. There can be demands upon us with respect to uh, the truthfulness of what we're saying, if you're in court or whatever. Um, But vows are voluntary. You voluntarily enter into that relationship, whether it's church membership or marriage or office bearing, baptism. Nobody's compelled you to do that. But once you, by God's grace, determine to do that, then you're going to bind yourself in the performance of those things. Now, we can see some things the psalmist binds himself to uh, with his vow that he has sworn and he swears that he will keep it, that he's going to uh, conform it. He first pledges himself that he is going to live uh, joyfully according to the will of God's word. I've sworn I conform it 106b that I will keep your righteous ordinances. That I'll not forget your law 109b. And uh, as I've said, I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes 112 for they're the joy of my heart. So we see in God's word what he wants us to believe and do. And uh, we, we vow then to serve God according to these things. And we're obligating ourselves that by his grace uh, that we are going to walk in this path. And we're not going to verve to the right or to the left. A second thing the psalmist here vows is respect to worship God with praise and adoration. In verse 108, he says, Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth. Now, in the Old Testament, for example, um, there were acts of religious worship that were part of the fulfilling of a vow, particularly when the, uh, the vows often had time uh, stamps to them. So you think of Jacob when he was fleeing Canaan and going up to uh, his uh, in-laws um, at Bethel, when God appeals to him, he he's overwhelmed. This is truly the house of God. And he said, if God do, and God makes these promises to him and he says, if God does, it's not that he doubts that God will. But if God does this, when I come back, I'm going to build a place of worship here and I'm going to support it with a tenth of what God's given me. So he takes this vow. That he's going to worship God. And one of the ways that God's appointed, and that is by bringing his tithes um, to God for the support of the worship of God. Um, and that was a voluntary vow. Uh, often in the Old Testament, uh, vows would be the dedication of particular things. It might be a product, uh, some profit from farming. It might be a piece of property. It might be one's life. Uh, or it might be a prayer. Again, based upon the promises of God, that God would uh, deliver. And if God did, then I'm going to bring this offering to God. And so you had these free will offerings. They're also called votive offerings in the Old Testament. And they would entail sacrifices that were brought to God in fulfillment of the vow. But by figure of speech, because the sacrifices are never divorced from the attitude of the heart, it comes to speak of praise and thanksgiving. So, for example, Hosea 14:2. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Uh, 
So yes, the sacrifices were commanded by God. But underlying that was to be a heart that was praising God. So David, uh, in Psalm 56, 12, your vow, vows are binding upon me. Oh God, your vows are binding. I will render thank offerings to you. And then the context, he goes on to talk about praising the Lord. Or the Savior himself prophesied uh, by David in Psalm 22. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. And he's standing in the midst of the congregation now and proclaiming the name of the Lord. So in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13, 5, uh, through him, through Christ, he let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's the fruit of the lips. There's the phrase from Hosea. They give thanks to his name. So the idea of the votive offering in the old covenant always had with it a worship response to God. And so uh, we are when we vow and take our vows, that includes in them we're obligating ourselves to do that which God desires above all else. And is to worship him according to his word and not to neglect it in our lives privately, in our families and particularly in corporate worship. And then a third thing that the psalmist is vowing here is that he is going to um, persevere uh, in these things that he has uh, uh, said that he would do to God. He says in 109, I do not forget your law. I've not gone astray from your precepts in 110. Recognizing the difficulty of that which is before him forever. End of verse 112. Forever I've inclined my heart to your commandments. And so, as we said this weekend with the men, you know, it can't be a start and go kind of thing or a quick start. And then we kind of peter off uh, forevermore. Now, the Christian life and just pay attention to the word endure and endurance in the Bible is a life of endurance. Service and worship is a life of endurance, a life of perseverance. And so we are vowing then that we're going to persevere in obedience and in worship. Now, let's bring this right down to us. We're talking about the vows of our lives. Have you thought about how many vows uh, by which you've obligated yourself? Well, let's begin with the membership vow. Uh, this is a vow that you take to God uh, in, before the elders in the church. In fact, in the PCA book, it actually begins by saying, that you're to assent to the following declarations and promises by which you enter into a solemn covenant with God and his church. Now, this is voluntary. Nobody twisted your arm to make you enter into uh, this solemn covenant. But uh, by these vows, you're entering into this covenant with God. And it's very important you understand this because today it's the market mentality. And we uh, will swap churches the way we shop restaurants or Barber shops or uh, beauty salons or whatever. And we don't have that option. Now, listen to some of the vows that we have taken. The first two deal with our resting in Christ and salvation. Number three, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as become a follower of Christ? Four, do you promise to support the church? And that's the church where you're taking this vow. Uh, in its worship and work to the best of your ability. Five, 
Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? These are solemn, God-obligating promises that you and I have made to God. And they must govern our lives. For if they do not, we are sinning grievously. And as the Savior tells us in the third commandment, which has direct reference to this, that um, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, for the one who takes God's name in vain will not be guiltless. You know, children, we've got one left, one back there, I guess. Uh, you also, although you've not yet taken a vow, are obligated by a vow that your parents took for you. And so, in the baptismal um, vows that we take when we baptize you, we um, claim in that, that, uh, for example, you claim God's covenant promises on his behalf and you do look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your own. And just as you are a citizen of this country because you were born to parents who are citizens, you are citizens, you are members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have been brought into this covenant by your parents, which then obligates you, that vow of your parents obligates you, because God's made promises to you to respond to him in the way he's appointed. And that is by making a public profession of faith and owning Jesus as your Savior. But we think what we as uh, parents uh, say then, you unreservedly dedicate your child to God, promise and humble reliance upon divine grace that you'll endeavor to set before him or her a godly example, that you'll pray with him, that you'll teach him the doctrines of our holy religion, that you'll strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're often more concerned about the, the personal, physical, financial advancement of our children than their spiritual advancement. We've taken this vow. Um, your own membership vows we've talked about. How about uh, our wedding vows? I take you to be my wedded wife. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful husband, to love and guide you faithfully, to maintain you, to live with you in holiness according to the Holy Gospel. I promise never to forsake you, but to be true to you always. In good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in health and sickness for as long as we both shall live. With that little change in the, in the ladies, I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful wife, to love and obey you and to assist you and live with you in holiness according to the holy gospel. What binding vows that are thrown aside like a um, Coke can or a gum wrapper every day now in our culture. One other then, and that is office bearers. We too live under vows. And at the end of them, you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon, as the case may be, in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and set a worthy example before the church of God, which has made you an officer. You promise subjection to your brethren and the Lord. Uh, do you promise to strive for purity, peace, and unity in the edification of the church? Awful, solemn, uh, binding obligations that we've taken upon ourselves. And so we have these formal vows that are part of our lives, and we can't escape them. You entered into them, and you're bound by them. We also use vows informally. 
Now, the way Jacob did, that uh, if God would keep this promise, it's, it's not a bargaining, but it's, it's obviously a, a way of Scripture that we can serve God. So, uh, for example, I know a man that um, uh, was looking to get a stipend inheritance, and, and he vowed to God that if I get this, I'll, I won't just tithe 10%. I will give 20% to you because this is over and above anything that I have. Or I had a teenager one time in my ministry uh, who came to me, and, and she said, you know, I'm having trouble reading my Bible consistently. I'd like to take a vow that uh, when I get home from school, I would never turn on the television until I read my Bible. Now, that met the qualifications that are spelled out for us here in um, uh, 22, 6, uh, that it is uh, something um, that's not forbidden in the Word of God or would hinder any duty and is um, uh, in your power to do it. So I said, well, it seems, yes, that's something that you could do. If your father agrees, not your pastor, if your father agrees, then it's good. She did that and established very good habits then of personal uh, devotion. Uh, that's what Job did, isn't it? Uh, that he, he covenanted with his eyes not to look upon a woman with the second look, with lustful thoughts. That was a vow that he took. So these are the vows of our lives and how we use vows in our lives. But quickly, we recognize that we are beset both with internal and external enemies. And so the psalmist also teaches us that we don't do this in our own strength, but we do it with conscious dependence on the Lord. In three verses, he spells out the difficulties. In 107, I'm exceedingly afflicted. 109, my life is continually in my hand. 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. The Bible tells us we have three enemies. Uh, our indwelling sin, uh, the world system, and Satan. And the psalmist was well aware of that, not just here, but throughout Psalm 119. That we are beset. And you're aware of that, aren't you? You, you know the, the troubles and, and difficulties of your sinful nature. The, the struggle with sin. The afflictions that can come into your life simply because of those things. And then we have the attacks of the world. And the awful uh, seductions of Satan as well as stirring up the world against us and we're we're aware of weakness inside and danger outside and sometimes we wonder how in the world can I move forward in in the Christian life and the psalmist teaches us that we don't do this in our own strength no we depend upon God that's why some of the vows we have that reference to uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit and so in 107 the psalmist says, I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. We talk a lot about corporate revival and how we should long for it and pray for it. But in this Psalm 119, the psalmist talks a lot about personal revival. The spirit working mighty and powerful affections in our lives and how we need that. That's part of the prayer of being filled with the spirit that we should be praying to be quickened by the Spirit every day, to ask the Spirit to stir up your, your holy affections, give you grace to teach, to keep your vows. Uh, 108, teach me your ordinances. Uh, we can only understand them by uh, the grace of God. Um, and this, by God's grace, then we will not go astray, but we will incline our hearts to perform to the end. So that's what I mean when I say 
that a believer in conscious dependence upon God's grace, not in our own strength or might, aware of our weakness and our failures, will obligate ourselves with vows to serve God according to his covenant. And so how are you using your vows today? Well, in the first place, you need to begin to think a lot more about the vows that you have taken. You should review them. Perhaps even uh, cut them out and paste them in the front page of your, of your Bible. So that there is a continual review of these things that you have voluntarily obligated yourself to do before God. You should use your vows along, say, with the Ten Commandments as patterns for self-examination. So as you come to the Lord's table, a good way to prepare yourself is to review your vows. And we're all going to be terribly ashamed by how often and how many times each day uh, we, we break those vows. Of course, uh, that then brings us to um, repentance and confession of sin. Uh, there is that awful specter that if you take God's name in vain, he'll not hold you guiltless. And if you remain in your sin and in your vow breaking, apart from actively resting in Christ alone for salvation, you're damned. If you sit here this morning and you're a hypocrite, you play games with God, you're deliberately breaking your vows, you couldn't care less your obligations in marriage or church or anything else, then you're under God's damnation. I need to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Take refuge in him for pardon, but also for grace. I said to the men this weekend, and um, it's still very true. You heard the vows. You took them. I didn't take them for you. If you're a member of this or any other church, and if you're an office bearer of this or any other church, you took vows about the work of the church. If you're not here regularly on the Lord's Day... You're breaking that vow. If you're not here for the second service in the Lord's Day, unless providentially hindered by distance or health, you're breaking a vow. It's not a matter of consumerism. It's not a matter of what I feel like today. It's a matter of what you swore to God. Let that oath be blessed by the Holy Spirit in your life to motivate you should never be a service in the church where the elders and deacons are not regularly present. Again, unless providentially hindered. Same with prayer meeting. The other things are cherries on top, community groups or whatever. But this commitment to worship and prayer, your commitment to the elders when they call for something like that, that you are going to support it to the best of your ability. Use your vow. And then use, use your vows then to help you fight against sin. Do, do like Job. Do like that young girl. And recognize something in your life that you could take a, a, a proper biblical vow to do or not do certain things and rest on God then to do that. And it will greatly contribute to your sanctification. Now we're coming to the Lord's table. One of the ways that we're to think about the Lord's table is covenant renewal. We're coming now to the Lord's table to renew our vows. Every vow that we've made to God, yes, those in marriage, whatever, particularly our, our church vows, well, we're coming now renewing our commitment to Jesus Christ. And we're coming now to seek grace from him to grow in that commitment, knowing that he forgives us when we break it.
Let us pray.